Right livelihood is the fifth factor of the Eightfold Path, and it's something that is rarely talked about. Mindfulness gets star billing. Sometimes samadhi gets some mention. Four Noble Truths occasionally, but Right Livelihood is relegated to obscurity. Roughly, the suttas talk about a few obvious, very coarse kind of wrong livelihoods. One would be killing, killing humans, killing animals. Another one would be stealing for a living. Another would be slave trade, which is very interesting, not so much in modern times, but that the Buddha in the 5th century BC, when nobody else in the world really objected to slavery, including Christ or Socrates, nobody objected to the practice of slavery. The Buddha is the only one we can find in uh, remote times, right up to the 1865 in the United States. They still had slavery there. He says that it's a wrong livelihood to traffic in humans. So there's some very progressive ideas there. Making of poison, making of weapons, now that could be a very big problem, especially in the States. There's a huge military industry and lots of freshly graduated engineers are involved in uh, making of weapons. But I would say that this is at the coarser level of things. Uh, poisons are also included, the making of poisons to poison off animals, even insect poisons, let alone human poisons. These are all not good ideas to make a living at. If you're in them, get out of them. And so there is another level of this as well. It's interesting to reflect that, of course, right action, which we talked about, covers a lot of the wrong livelihoods, like obviously killing is under right action. It's against the first of the five precepts. Stealing is mentioned under the right action as well. And lying, whether you're lying to make a living or not, it's also a violation of right action. So there's an overlap between right livelihood and right action and right speech. But now we get to the more subtle levels of this, which would uh, be more directly problematic for most people. And that is, especially those who want to meditate, does your livelihood interfere with your capacity to attain serenity and focus? Does it take up all your time and energy so that you don't have time or energy for meditation, study, reflection, visiting monasteries, going on retreats. Now there are times, circumstances in life where you have no choice. You got 13 hungry children and you got to make a living. But if there is a possibility of choices, often what happens is either people decide they need more time for meditation. And they tend to downsize their job. Sometimes they take demotions. Sometimes they switch professions or careers. 
Sometimes there are very demanding types of careers or positions. So you might be a manager of a large number of people and you're in conflict with them on a regular basis. This kind of thing, you will find that sometimes people decide to take a demotion or change of livelihood because they can't process this job and have a sense of ease in the world and they can't focus their mind. It's not the case for everybody. Some people enjoy a lot of complexity but can let it go. But generally speaking, it's not so easy. And so this is something that one has to evaluate in oneself. Even in the monastic life, for instance, abbots, if they're in the midst of a busy monastery, building projects going on, they also have to determine uh, whether they can let go of the planning processes and the administration processes and the interaction with the various individuals and whether or whether it encroaches on their meditation. If it does, they should then um, try to simplify the process or which often happens is they will then, after a busy period, take extensive retreats long-term retreats without responsibility. So even if in the monastic life this is the case, then it could be even more in the lay life. So everybody should just evaluate honestly what stands between you and a sense of peace. And sometimes you have to make adjustments. And this goes against the stream of the conversation in society because there's so much emphasis on livelihood it's who you are, what you do, it's money, it's your future, it's pensions, it's all kinds of possibilities. But you have to ask yourself whether the possibilities that can be bought with money are as valuable as the kind of possibilities that you can experience through serenity of mind. So if these things are in conflict, then you need to Look for solutions to that. Sometimes it works the other way where you do find peace and serenity and that makes you disinclined. It demotivates you. You can no longer remember why you want to be so busy and work so hard. So sometimes the meditation comes first and the livelihood changes follow. Sometimes the changes to the livelihood precede the arrival at peace of mind. So works both ways. The other area that I think is, I encounter this a lot in the West, and I think in my own experience in my own life, I was prone to um, too great of more or less sensitivity of conscience about the secondary and tertiary kind of effects of my livelihood. Everything that I did, really, I was hyper-concerned about the social ramifications. And this is the type of messages and preoccupations that we have in the West because we're so socially engaged. Christianity and the aftermath of Christianity, and by the way, many of you who are not Christians or never were Christians, you are immersed in post-Christian ideas that are being <laughs> implanted in your minds through all kinds of means, educational systems, political systems, 
literature, etc. And so you're left with a, a hypersensitive social conscience. And it is not necessarily conducive to peace. And it is not necessarily wise. In fact, it eats up a lot of people. And so what we're asking you in livelihood is not to do things that directly cause injury, but the kind of implications of livelihood, they can have all kinds of secondary effects. We're not really interested in that. The Buddha says you can't actually go through the world and have no effect on others. And sometimes it'll be harmful, but unintentionally harmful. So if you drive a bus and you have insects smacking into the windshield of your bus all the time, are you in a conflict of livelihood? No, you're not. There's no intention to kill. It's a side effect of transport. Same as monks walking. At the time of the Buddha, there were Jain monks who were hyper-concerned about uh, accidental killing of insects when walking, and they would sweep ahead of themselves with a broom to keep from accidentally killing insects. The Buddha said it's very important that you understand killing is a matter of intention. Karma is a matter of intention. It is not a matter of accident. If it were a matter of accident, no one would ever get out of samsara because it's impossible to be harmless except through the non-intention of being harmful. So this is something to really reflect on in your life. Is your conscience burdened excessively with too great a sensitivity, too great a concern with all of the ripple effects? You know, when you are in a society where you pay taxes from your livelihood and they take a portion of that to the military, do you feel guilty? Do you feel implicated? The Buddha would say, you're not implicated. Taxes are taken from you and they're used in ways that you can't control. And so you should not be disturbing yourself about that kind of thing. You might want to uh, protest or something against wars, etc., which is fine. But you're not implicated in all these aspects unless you are intentionally involved. And this is very, very important. If I could give a bunch of talks at schools to young people, I would, to sort it out for them, because it's something you can take on an enormous sense of inappropriate guilt and responsibility for that which you are not guilty and not responsible. So this is uh, a sketch of right livelihood, and you can see how deep those implications go and each of you will have a, a complex relationship with your livelihood the necessity for making a livelihood and also of course the investment that you make in training for these livelihoods and the fact that you're not always in control of these things you're sometimes working for other people who push you towards this sometimes it comes down to a very difficult decision there was a, a fellow who used to come to the monastery. He was a Thai man who was doing a doctorate in dentistry. And one of the things they had to do was some experiments on uh, mice. And part of the experiment was that after the experiment was over, he had to kill it. And this is like his doctorate was on the line. 
and be coming to the monastery and really had kind of discovered a deep practice in Canada, strangely enough. Born and raised in Thailand, a sort of a nominal Buddhist, but had discovered meditation in Canada. And he took it seriously. He went to his supervisor with a lot on the line, his whole doctorate and the whole scholarship that he had and a livelihood ahead. And he said, I will not kill those mice. And his supervisor was very upset about this. And she said, you know, this is a tremendous amount is on the line here. He says, not for the sake of my doctorate or my livelihood will I do this. This is against my religion. And uh, his supervisor (laughs) wept (laughs) and said, well, we'll do it theoretically then. (laughs) We'll just do a theoretical study we can borrow information from. So it really was on the line, and that's how deep this can go and how meaningful it can be. Sometimes it comes down to putting yourself on the line for your beliefs and for your practice. So I'll leave that for your reflection on Right Livelihood.